0: Episodes of Dick Dixon in the 21st Century.
1: It's a fuzzy, distorted blur, like watching BBC Two on the Isle of Wight. I can barely make out anything through the interference, just vague shapes
0: moving up and down. Lieutenant Fox, can you use the computer to improve the
1: picture quality? Of course, Admiral. It hadn't occurred to me to do that.
0: That's why they made me Admiral. I think outside the box.
1: Applying image enhancement. Warning. The distress signal you are about to see contains images of a graphic nature that some viewers may find disturbing.
0: Oh dear. I hope this isn't another one of those situations where they've started eating each other. Dick Dixon and the Love Lovebug is available for purchase now at www.averidrop.com Welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydoke, have to try to guess my special guests' favourite things about the Doctor Who story that they have chosen, so I shall be commentating along, but accentuating the positive as I go.
1: Hello Toby, and anyone who's watching or listening to this. Uh, my name's Michael Dennis, I'm a writer and stage manager. Thank you for inviting me in. The story I've chosen for you to watch is The Macra Terror. Uh, I've discovered I've got quite a lot to say about this, so I'm going to say no more now and hand straight back to you.
0: Well, hello. Uh, Thanks to Michael, a nobly concise uh, intro there. I'm excited to hear what he has to say about the macro michael is one of those friends uh, from hoodum who uh, i i've never actually met um he's in fact he's he's met my other half who doesn't know anything about doctor i mean I, she's she probably never even heard of the macro terror uh, but she does know michael they've worked together before i even existed uh, in in her life uh when he stays, running the show. She was in, so it's a small old world. But Michael has helped me out with a couple of uh, contacts before in the past, and we've we've exchanged messages and stuff. And uh, he's uh, been very encouraging in these podcasts. So thanks, Michael. It's really appreciated because it can be a lonely old business. Well, you know, you fling it out there, and you just don't know. Uh, and and he's chosen the MacroTerra. Which is a very interesting story for all sorts of reasons, but I'm not going to waste those reasons during the preamble because this is a telesnap reconstruction. We're not doing the animation. We might talk about that as well. Um, uh, so I'm going to do the the, the the one that is closest to, um, you know, my experience of, of what you know, of the televised episodes. I think the the animations are, are, are great, but I think for these purposes they would be a a distraction uh, because uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to assess the, the story as broadcast. I don't know why that's a rule, but it's my rule. Uh, so I'm going to go to, is it episode selection? Uh, I'm on the uh, I'm on the fancy new Blu-ray, which uh, which I'm on somewhere. I think, oh yeah, I'm on the commentary. No, so that's the, uh, <laughs> this, this might be the longest, for, this introduction is going to be longer than Michael's because uh, I've got to actually f- f- find, so do they count as a special feature then? Their special feature. The, uh, I've definitely got the right disc because I, I checked earlier. Uh, episode reconstructions. And they're split over two episodes, uh, over two discs. Um, episode one play with narration, episode one play without narration. Now, why didn't they put four episodes on one disc with narration and four episodes on one disc without narration? Oh, I suppose because it's probably just a different layer of sound, isn't it? There'll be a reason. Um Although, actually, I can see there there's a space uh, at either side of the dash between episode one, episode two, and then the play with, play without, except on episode one, where there's no space after the dash, uh, which would have played, or, oh, which is the sort of thing you... you know, I'm, I know I make mistakes like that on things like that, and you only notice when you have actually finally put it to print. You go, oh, no, it's not symmetrical, it's not right. Uh, you, your brain may not be banjaxed by that, but mine is, which is why I've mentioned something... Probably really unimportant. Doctor Who fan with brain that requires things to be a certain way, who then goes on uh, in far too great length about why it isn't. Uh, uh, who has ever encountered such a phenomenon? Right. So I'm going to play without narration. I think for the pure, as close to the broadcast episode as possible experience of episode one of the Macra Terror, and I am going to go in three, two one so is that i mean that's an extraordinary thing in and of itself that uh we have you know the the people who make these discs so well there's some people who who like the reconstructions to have uh, narration and and some who don't so let's let's cater for both and there are some who like covers which fit with the design that we used to do and some. so let's do reversible sleeves we are hugely indulged but i think it's because they know we would set fire to buildings um but we are hugely indulged. We don't know how lucky we are. Now, here's one of the first really interesting things about the macro Terror, is that this this series of telesnaps with the the, the titles on. Um, oh, and that's the first use of the the, the Doctor Two title sequence with the Doctor's face as well. But we'll talk about that, um, will we? Maybe. But these these close-ups of Terence Lodgers, Medocs eyes are there in addition um, by uh, the director John Davis. Uh, they weren't in the script. Um, uh, and there's all sorts of. Bits and bobs like that. The scripts that we have, and I haven't looked at them especially for this, but I uh, I have looked at them at, at various points, and I prepared for the for the the, the DVD, and uh, I also um, have talked to Johnny Morris about uh, various little anomalies that crop up that we simply don't have a definitive answer to because the scripts have got crossings out, and uh, uh, and and they're not scripts that necessarily reflect. Of what we can hear in the soundtrack so there's a certain bit of jigsaw making with macriteria and i love that that's i love the fact that i hate the fact the episodes are missing but i love the fact that if they are there are things that we need to ponder and guess and think about and in fact uh, 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 one uh, head scratcher was solved relatively recently and i will uh, i will get to that when we get to episode four um but my first introduction to the macro terror was in uh the radio times 10th anniversary 10th 20th, 20th anniversary special and there's a that brilliant picture of graham lehman as the controller although it's a picture that lies and we'll get to that as well um uh with the crab uh claw coming to pull him off um Quiet at the back, but you know, coming to grab it, and it's a brilliant shot. It's a great published shot. Looks like the shot of a nineteen fifties, you know, horror movie that that would have, you know, that just seemed, you know, so much bigger and bolder than anything that you you saw on telly. I know they all look a bit sort of hokey now, but to, to, as a kid looking at that, going Doctor Who used to do that sort of thing. People being, uh oh, that's clever in the reconstruction. They're using, um they're using the footage of uh, Krelper and. and uh, the gunrunner in uh, Chaos of Androzani, chasing after Medoc, because it's a similar, the location is is similar, it's the old uh, and just stuck the heads of the Macritary guards on. That's very clever, because, you know, although we like to think the telesnaps give us an idea of the episode, uh, uh, how many thousands of frames are in an episode, and we've got, what is it, 48 per one. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a a lot of filling out that has to be done. So well done. Uh, there's me not talking about the episode talking about the reconstruction i'll try not to do that um but that's but this is another area where there's lots of you know we've just got lots of sound uh and uh, you know we 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 have to guess what went on so should any of these episodes turn up oh and there were rumors i remember talking to a couple of guys at a doctor who convention who said oh yeah the macro terror exists so and so seen it uh and they were talking with such authority that, you know, I just believed them. I believed for ages that the macro terror existed. Well, I said, yeah, and apparently, you know, and because of course it, you have to be cool and they didn't go, and it's the best thing ever. They went, yeah, and you know, you can see the wheels of the car underneath the uh, the macro in some scenes. And, and, and you know, you know it's because the thing was, the macro is the same size as a, as a car. And so I think they conflated that with, it was actually moved around on a car and, i mean if it was in a studio it really wouldn't have been so long. so so you know they were in in one way sort of betraying a lack of knowledge but on but but using it to sort of be be boastful using the few little scant fragments of information that we had about what the macreter actually was to sell a pup to to this uh, this 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 lad standing next to them in an autograph queue um but that's that's part of it, you know. Even I was talking about the Omni-Rumour with somebody last night. That's the stuff that that feeds us in it. Well, I've heard this, you know. And, oh, have you heard that? And and then you go, uh, but irrespective of whether it's true or not, what episodes, I did this on a Twitter thing, like, what episodes would you like to come back? Um, and I, I, I think I would like an episode of... Uh, I'd love, I'd love, oh, I'd love it. I'd love it more. But I'd like to see the Macquarie I like that the 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 sort of I like the stuff that's outside the colony and all the sort of the 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 sort of fallen down buildings and and you forget that the sort of location on this because it's 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 a, it's a slight, it's a slight shock I think to have all this the enforced jollity of the the holiday camp that wasn't the story I expected when I saw the. The, you know, the, the the shot of the controller and the claw in that 20th anniversary special. And it said underneath, humans were the prey in the chilling, the macro terror. I haven't seen that for ages, but I know that's what it says. Uh, and um, my copy of that is well-worn and bust. And in fact, I had two, and I cut one up to decorate a, a file. And then I got given uh, a pristine uh, copy. And then in a move, somebody that wasn't me didn't handle it particularly nicely so it's 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 still in pretty good condition but it's it's knackered the spine again a bit the spines of that 20th anniversary special are not the most robust and i'm i'm yeah i'm a bit sore about that but anyway uh, that's a lengthy introduction to say my yeah so i was expecting this dark story of sort of marauding crabs so then when now, how did I first encounter it? The Target book, I know, was quite late. I remember being quite disappointed by the Target book, I think partially because it got a not very good review in Doc2 magazine, which which coloured me to it. Um, but it was also one of the first I got the cassette, you know, bootleg soundtrack for, and it was actually one of the ones of better quality because a lot of them were like you were, you were submerged in bubbling treacle uh, um, uh, with, with a sock over your head, uh and uh and them being played on some old speakers half a league away um but but the, but this one I, I had a pretty pretty clear picture of the macro and uh and and i certainly enjoyed listening to the soundtrack of it that and fury from the deep with my oh and and evil but the, the, they're all the best well evil in this were, 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 were better quality i think um and I and I like the Orwellian thing of the Big Brother. That's a you know that's a trope that's now that's now a it's, a it's a it's sort of a bit of a cliche anyway. But it's you know, it's quite it's nice for Doctor Who and it's and it's nice for this setup because as I say I wasn't expecting a story about a holiday camp and I found I think when I f- first found out that the Macra Terror, instead of being you know maybe some 1950s science base I like science bases full of men being tough and sweating and probably you know one of them's got wife is expecting a kid at home so it's it'll be tough if he dies you know and all that um and instead it's this sort of gay dancing um gay uh, in fact this has got the word gay in it but in the in the in the the, the old-fashioned use of the word um of being you know jolly and cheerful and, and that's how that's yeah uh, uh um but of course so I remember being slightly, oh, is 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 that what this story is? I'm not sure. I want it to be that. I I I want it to be claws smashing through control panels and eating people, getting eaten horribly. But actually, what makes this very special in the end, I think, is the whole idea um, of surface gloss and enforced cheerfulness and a society that pretends to be something it isn't that has an evil crabs lurking underneath it makes it a a far greater piece of work even though it is uh you know you have to see past you know that that you 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 have to take this the spoonful of you know sickly sugar in order to appreciate uh the medicine um and uh and it means we do have this, this, this quite gradual build up, but but this is not for, for naught. This is this is supposed to be, you know, come into my parlour, said the to the crab to the flying machine tra- travellers. I didn't quite get away with that. Uh, and on a side note, I I mean, would it be cheeky of me if I chose the scene where the doctor messes himself up <laughs> uh, after coming out and looking immaculate? Um, uh, purely because it's been cut out of the animation, which was hugely controversial. Uh, and as somebody that works on the range uh, and knows the producer of the animation, Charles Norton, very well, I would just like to say to all those people who said they thought it was a silly idea to cut uh, the scene that I agree with you 100%. I also uh, thought it was a really serious, you know, you know, your audience, your audience are purists and like things to be the full story. Uh, and I, th- and I love Charles and he's a brilliant producer and he's an intelligent man. And he did a great documentary on power of the Daleks. And he works really, really hard and he works above and beyond the call of duty. And these are passion projects that wouldn't have been made without him really pushing stuff through. But I thought he made the wrong call on, on that. And I told him so. Uh, uh, and he didn't help that he then is expert. He then, I think, did a quote where he said, "Ah, oh, it's only a bit of fluff, anyway." Goes, Don't say that. Um, so I, that's another reason to be watching this version because it is the full uh, version. Um, love Terence Lodge. He's a terrific actor who plays Medoc, uh, who crops up in Doctor Who a lot, um, uh, and Ian Fairbairn, who uh, is is a is a lovely ubiquitous. Uh, presence through uh, the early years of Doctor Who, and he's in Time Slip as well. I had the pleasure of meeting him once when he was—he he came across to me as a slightly eccentric fellow. I think he made it his own. He had a jacket that he made himself. I think the jacket that he's wearing in the Invasion DVD documentary is one that he made himself. I think that's my Ian Fairbairn fact. Uh, I met him, and I, but I was—it was on a—it was on a day's work doing something, so I didn't really uh chat to him as much as i should have done and he was one of the because he was always being interviewed and always doing stuff i sort of took him a bit for granted and then was quite surprised when he, he passed away uh here he is playing quester so he's only in episode one of this it's uh so um he goes on to be gregory in the invasion and uh, he's dr chester small part in seeds of doom but douglas you sort of normally associate him with douglas Camfield, uh, who used him uh, quite a lot he's brumley the the scientist in uh in Inferno, who gets uh, infected early on. Uh, So it's it's quite a strange, it's not not quite the sort of stuff we associate uh, with him. But in fact, um, he's also one of the voices at the end of the Nigel Neal play, The Road, that I uh, redid for Radio 4. And actually he'd left his paperwork to a lovely chap called Andrew Mark Thompson, who uh, forwarded that paperwork to me, uh, so we could get an insight into into what was actually done in the original, and we actually ended up using some of those original voices in the mix for the for the Radio 4 version, because uh, I got I got the uh, the, t- the tape as well from another from another source. Um, so that was a nice nod to the original, and uh, yeah, that was that was because of Ian, Fa- Ian Fairbairn doing some uncredited sort of post production voice work. But Terence Lodge as me, Doc, who's got a terrible haircut in this. I think the bowl haircut is one of the I mean, I can I can hardly talk. Got, I couldn't have a bowl haircut myself because it would be um, it would be a bowl with a massive crack in it because uh, I don't really have enough to sustain a full crown. Uh, but I think the bowl haircut is one of the greatest aberrations um uh, and I don't mean because Patrick Troughton's I don't think of as a bowl haircut because it's slightly scruffier and he brushes it slightly to the side. The one that is is totally brushed down and uniform all the way around, like a Lego man's haircut that you could pull on and off. Um, but I loved Terence Lodge. He's a he's a, a, a good. He's not very well at the moment, sadly. Um, and we, we went to his house for the commentary for this because uh, I'd interviewed him previously and I, I like Terence very much. Uh and unfortunately, um, we we realised when we we got there that he was uh, he was uh, he was you know he told us the same story two or three times and and we realised he was not as he once was. It's a tragedy, and I've just lost I've just lost a friend to uh, well I lost him a while ago because dementia takes takes the conversation before it takes the carriage, as it were. Um, so. Yeah, so I met. Uh, yeah, anyway, so I met met Terence two or th- two or three times because we met up again when he uh, reunited with Andrew Staines, who's also in Planet of the Spiders with him. Because Terence Lodge is in this; he's in Planet of the Spiders, he's in Carnival of Monsters as Aurum, uh, uh, and and he's a and he's a and he he's sort of all of his characters are a bit sort of fussy and beleaguered in to different ex- extents and and to different dramatic purposes um that is by no means the same performance medoc is quite desperate and high octane um uh, moss in planet of the spiders is is you know one of the sort of desperate uh you know spider-man nervous breakdown people um but it's a it's a different kind of desperation it's more he's more lost in that and then aurum in uh in carnival of monsters is a glorious creation uh but you know uh has has his own uh has his own b- beleagueredness, but that's more in, in sort of his position in the pecking order. Um, uh, but he's uh, he's also in an age of kings where he shows that he's got um, verse speaking metal and you know classical heft, and he's brilliant in in the episodes of the Avengers that he's in. I saw one. I'm not an expert of in the Avengers, but he's he's in an early one uh, where he plays he plays a I think a Russian guy who's had some sort of psychological issues and it's a really i remember just thinking wow terence is great in this so uh kudos to terence lodge uh uh who's who also fine servant to doctor who um that's dennis goacher as the uh as, as the controller and this is anthony gardner who's alvis who i think was at drama school with with uh annika wills uh he's still about i like ben's stripey shirt by the way i i, I quite fancy a shirt uh, 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 like that. Um, I think it's a good good look I do like a stripe um, uh, so yes so I haven't talked much about actually the story oh no is, is that a stripy shirt one of the Ben has a stripy shirt that's in the moon base maybe um, I, I noticed one of the people in the background has a stripy shirt in this and so maybe that was what I'd looked at it doesn't matter Ben has a stripy shirt in one story that I like um, um, but 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 this this whole thing about work, make you know work, which I, I sort of believe in. I believe you know society only functions if we all sort of try and chip in and do our bit, even uh, uh, you, you know at, at at any level and in, in in any texture. It's not all about uh, labour. You know, everybody should be in a road gang, but uh, but it's all about you know contributing to life and to society that 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 gives us the life and the society that is as you know comparatively lest we forget more comfortable than anybody at any time and if we're you know if you're listening to me in the UK or the US or whatever more comfortable than most people in the entire world um uh but but this you know this looks at the dark side of that this 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 sort of what is the work that they're doing they're just happily going yeah yeah you know we're contributing yeah you're you're poisoned pumping poisonous gas that feeds evil crab beasts Um, (laughs) and I and I like it's it's and and there's definitely an Orwellian uh, 1984 thing going on and uh, although I'm not a conspiracy theorist I, I do like anything that wrestles with those ideas of going well you know what what is our civilization and when we and, and when we and when we talk about the, um, the things that we take for granted about saying well we, you know we should be happy uh, and we and we should labor and all of those sorts of things go yeah well let's just, just turn turn those let's just turn the the con the darkness down on those just a little little bit and we'll uh, 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 and see what we actually mean by some of the things that we take for granted and I think Ian Stewart black script is it works really well on that it's, a, it's you know it's a genuine sort of metaphor and I love the way that the doctor is in this I love the way he treats me doc uh, who you know rightly doesn't trust him and just believe him and he wins medoc's trust by by talking to him and by acknowledging that uh, you know this uh, the guy that's talking about the dark underbelly is probably the guy that's correct but that's another thing as well isn't it is that they all go oh no he's mad and he needs treatment and he needs correction because that's how we deal with dissidents and that's often how people you know people who are foresighted have been dealt with as as people who don't fit in and as people who rock the boat and of course the doctor you know my idea of the doctor is very much that that's why i love him i think is that is that her. Oh, uh, let's take that for granted them um but uh I've I've got forty seven years of calling the doctor him, so you know, I'm afraid I'm afraid you're gonna you might have to get used to it uh and waste your energy being furious about something else. Graham Armitage, by the way, is Barney, was a a, a a a very um busy character actor. Um uh, who was in all sorts of things and had decent film roles and everything, but just must have been free this week because Barney is only in episode one. So that's a bit of upcasting from director John Davis, who, as I say, um, has filled this with all sorts of moments that we can't quite imagine what they might have been. Uh, you know, he's he's gone beyond what was in the script. And it's, it's actually very interesting that the script has transformed quite a lot. And yet occasionally they still say, uh, they refer to the Macra as insects or whatever because because they weren't supposed to be crabs. They were supposed to be it was at one point, I think, called Doctor and the Spider-Men, wasn't it? So they hadn't quite decided what the Macra were going to be. And then when they finally did decide on that, nobody was quite on top of the script enough to go, should we should we not change that for crab people? But I, I actually like that because it means that they don't necessarily know that the, the, because the Macra are a lurking presence off screen you know yeah we see them and we see the claw but they they don't so i actually quite like that enigmatic thing and there's so much attention to detail elsewhere that i i i I, you know i'm gonna say it's not it's not carelessness it's a deliberate sort of well let's let's keep this you know slightly nebulous um can you be slightly nebulous i'm sure you can um uh And I love these sounds of Dudley Simpson in the night, those, whatever those funny howls are. It's never quite, it's never quite suggested what, told what those are. Is that the macro noises? And if it is, they're great because they don't, that they sound, because they sound like they sort of could be, but they don't, they're not quite what I would have imagined. So lovely noises there. I'm assuming that's actually, that's Brian Hodgson's done those. Uh, I love uh, Dudley Simpson's music, um, the the, the sort of organy stuff. Um, there's something really haunting about that, but it's also got that sort of slightly arch, y thing going on. He's, he's clearly having fun, going, "Oh yeah, we've got these new noises to suggest the future." But there's a there's a tradition of you know proper ancient organ music also being you know scary and hallowed, and so it's a nice it's a nice synthesis of of you know um, past resonance and future uh, future possibilities. Nights are always nice in Doctor Who. Night filming. Um, and I like the dynamic between, between me, doc and the doctor, the doctor is brilliant in this. He, he, you know, he comes in and he shakes it up, uh, and he's very anarchistic. And that, that, you know, that's part of what that scene where he gets a makeover and looks all smart and goes, I don't want that. And gets shaken up and he, and he, and he does chip in all these little sarky comments about, um, you know, the perfection of the society and, and, uh, uh, and and the men you know and, 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 and you know uh he, he under you know he undermines it uh, at every turn like a sort of shabby anarchist and you can see why they see him as a threat um and that's what that's why he works you know that's why he's not just this impish schoolboy pixie he's a you know he's actually quite a quite a uh subservient you know force he's uh uh, who's just spotted a crab in the outside in the night sky. I, l- I love to see that cliffhanger and see what that was like. Um, th- there's so much of this story that you can only imagine. And we haven't even mentioned, uh, the credits have just come up, uh, Sandra Bryant as Cheeky, who does not come back in episode four, but was she even in episode one? That's something I will try and talk about in episode four, because there's a possibility, um, uh, because... Uh, well, I'll introduce the thing first. Uh, yeah, the 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 whole uh, prop, the, the the whole beef with that is that the character of Cheeky is Sandra Bryant in episode one and uh, Carol Keys in episode four. Um, uh, and Carol Keys is actually somebody else, but we'll talk about that later. Um, uh, so you know, it's one of those things of oh, the same character in one story being played by two different actresses. Um, and Sandra Bryant had a very decent part she's in uh, in parts one and two of um the war machines uh playing um uh, the the you know the lady who owns the Inferno nightclub um and uh, it's you know it's a good it's a good part so but uh, apparently uh, you know she got another job and asked to be released uh, from this now I presume there's a memo. Saying that, but I I thought there wasn't a production file for macroterra and if there is, I haven't seen one. But anyway, let's talk about that in episode four. But I'll plant the seed for the, the i plant the cheeky seed. Uh, what what is? it's funny because going into this, I thought I would maybe say because my 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 memories of this episode are are, are Patrick Trouton being being a a a, 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 real, a, a really pesky fly in the ointment uh, and the, the sort of doctor as anarchist but actually I think what I'm drawn to for episode one that's what sort of got me talking the most really apart from actors biographies uh, is I think the thing that put me off it after I'd built up my expectations of what the story should be is is the happy and cheerful the surface the, the veneer uh, but it's a it's a psychedelic veneer. It's a kaleidoscopic veneer, um, and that oh, listen to those sounds. I think they're beautiful, and and the fact that it's juxtaposed with these sounds and the darkness outside and the the underbelly of crabs. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the sixties. Uh, everyone was beautiful and looked nice, but <laughs> underneath it all, they'd all got crabs. <laughs> um, uh, but I, i'm I'm really drawn to that idea of of the writer using metaphor uh to to not only create this world that has that dramatic you know pull between um you know the, the 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 delightful cheerful surface and and the mystery underneath that's great that's a great pull for a script you know what what is it that's underneath this but it but it also it also speaks to us so I'm going to say that I'm going to say the the the, the the juxtaposition the choice but you know the the contrast between um the, the surface jollity of the holiday camp and what and what lies beneath which you know is 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 something you could apply to many many areas in our life and our society oh that's quite highfalutin it's better than choosing a door um but also i'll do an honorable mention <laughs> For the shake-up scene, just to annoy Charles, who, I, who I'm i very, very fond of. And as I say, I do think he's an excellent producer. And without whom, we wouldn't have had many of the wonderful things that we've got. Um, what is Michael going to choose for part one of the Macra
1: Terror? Here we go. My favourite thing about episode one has to be the refreshing department scene. It's a lovely set piece in which all the regulars are clearly delineated... Chelsea Girl Polly, getting a spiffy new do. Jack Tar Ben stripped to the waist, under ultraviolet, dreaming of the med. Highlander Jamie, to whom nothing is more terrifyingly alien than willingly handing yourself over to be emasculated by pretty lasses who might make you look like them. <laughs> and, best of all, the Doctor and the rough-and-tumble machine. A, I simply love the fact that there is something called The rough-and-tumble (laughs) sheep. That alone would justify its place here. But B, this is the best in a series of running jokes about the new Doctor's clothes. In The Highlanders, after shedding one of his numerous disguises, the Doctor finds his own clothes round the back of an inn on a rubbish tip. In The Underwater Menace, the Doctor and Ben need to evade a guard. We'll walk past him, says the Doctor. In those trousers, exclaims Ben. And here in the colony, Barney, dear old Barney... When enumerating all the benefits of the refreshing department delivers his verdict as a throwaway statement of fact you of course would like your clothes cleaned <laughs> it's a genuinely funny line delivered perfectly by graham armitage dear old graham armitage followed by a sequence of physical comedy for Trouton that was probably simply him standing in a box visible only from the head up which would be all Trouton needed and which in showing the doctor rejecting the order and uniformity thrust upon him, puts the theme of the story in a nutshell. Perfect.
0: Oh, there's so much. That was only a minute and 41 seconds long, and Michael said so much. He's very eloquent, is he? You can tell he's a good writer. Um, but I I loved uh, that. Do you know what? That's the joy of this book. I know I'm going to. But I'm not. I'm. Am I patting myself on the back No, Because I'm. I'm actually patting every, everybody involved in this who isn't me on the back. The contributors to this podcast, who, who you know, who think about this and go to an effort to record. And, you know, Michael shot his for the video version very nicely. Got the front cover of Tomb of the Cybermen on his wall. Is a proper fan. Uh, radio front cover of the Radio Times Tomb of the Cybermen framed on his wall. Um, but what an eloquent uh, summation of, yes, of that scene that, that, that again, is sort of, you would, you know, I think in the older days of fandom, we'd have gone, well, that's just a bit of padding before you get to the exciting stuff, which is about the monsters tearing people apart with their claws. But uh, as, as, as uh, Michael so, uh, you, you know persuasively and insightfully put it uh how that how that deli- and i'd forgotten because i was talking so much i love the fact that jamie's a bit scared of the, of the women <laughs> oh i love the, i love this tardis crew actually um and of course because polly polly's hair is a thing isn't it because it's it's uh it's it's, it's at different lengths and i can never remember if she had uh, uh, her hair was originally long uh and uh, she, uh whether whether the long hair is the wig or the short hair is the wig and which way around it goes but it doesn't matter uh, somebody else knows somewhere and i and I, I think i have a different opinion every other day um uh but it's one of those th- things um and um and I do love the picture, the telesnap of Ben with this. Uh, I've had ultraviolet treatment for my psoriasis, so I'm well-versed in having uh, those funny little goggles on uh, and being s- stripped down. Nothing changes in, that got 40 years. Um, and as Michael says, that's the real tragedy of this, is that Troughton doesn't need anything to deliver absolute comedy gold effortlessly and, uh, you know, perfectly pitched, timed and delivered uh, without even saying anything. Uh, that was one of his great and many gifts. And uh, we can't see that. So, you know, we we are doing a lot of guesswork, not only about the, the facts, but about the tiny little moments of magic that, you know, we'll never be able to create because only, you know, only people like Patrick, only actual people in the flesh doing it. Only, you know, moments where different creative forces combine in, in, in a moment of alchemy in a silly, ancient, creaky children's show made in black and white. But it, there will be stuff in that episode if it exists anywhere. Or there will have been when it did exist in physical form once. Some moment of brilliant that, that would have made us skip with joy or grin like loons or oh that's fun or just go oh i'm interested you know or just tiny little split seconds lost to the ether uh but still somebody as eloquent and smart as uh, michael can sum that up and also choose the rough and tumble machine scene which i nearly chose to be pesky to be the second doctor to be anarchistic to slightly uh you know uh uh knock uh, m- one of my employers one of my superiors uh and to slightly speak out of turn about uh, a friend of mine actually uh by going well actually i think that was a bit wrong which you wouldn't expect me to do because uh, uh, am i supposed to toe the party line no i haven't signed anything that said i have to say uh, i agree with every artistic decision uh, i can understand why it was made but i would prefer it if it hadn't been um uh but I didn't choose that. I didn't choose to uh, be the second Doctor. I chose to do something else, um, uh, which shows that we, we we still need the Doctor to come in and do the sort of thing that he does. Um, but uh, thanks to Michael. So uh, he's ahead at the moment um, uh, and we'll have to carry on watching this in Telesnap form because unfortunately in terms of moving images. There are no such thing as macro. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke. My special guest is Michael Dennis, who is on Twitter at Michael underscore Dennis. The patrons of Toby Haydoke's Time Travels do not exist, there is no such thing as patrons, however if they did, their names would include Reuben Herpindahl, Robin Bland, Paul Dykes, Andrew East, Andrew Egan, Mark Findlay Smith, David Gillespie, Charles Gears, Lisa Gledhill, David Green, Robin Groen, Paul J Guest, Susan Harrison, Steve Hatcher, Duncan Harvey, Ronald Hayden, Stephen Hill, Simon Hodges, Sam Hollingsworth, Matthew Hooliston, Darren Howard, Gregory Hudson, David Hughes, Paul Ingerson, Robert Jewell, Christopher Joyce, Judith Jackson, William Keith, Matthew Kilburn, Andy Kitching, Hendrik Korzenyowski, Andrew Lester and Andrew Llewellyn. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. You too could be added to that list of names. It's one of the perks of being a patron at... Patreon.com forward slash Toby Tears start from as little as £3 a month. You can get a 10% discount uh, if you sign up for a year and you get advanced material, uh, bonus features, and other little goodies. If you uh, don't want to do that, and that's perfectly understandable, you can also go to Kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and make a one-off donation. <laughs> And follow me on Twitter at Toby these podcasts at Haydock Podcasts. And go to my comedy night, Excess Malarkey, in Manchester, 8pm every Tuesday. Or on the first Sunday of every month, you can find the comedy night on twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey. Interesting. I put those little stings close together on my uh, audio assembly, so I had to speak to fit in between the gaps, and I think I was much more concise. Maybe that's what I need. Musical stings placed along my conversation so that I know when to wind up and then I don't go off on tangents, which I can do now because it's the after credits bit that... An increasing number of people are listening to. It's almost like only the special people will not listen to the after No, there's only about four of you. But anyway, it's this. Let's see. Uh, put you, uh, I'd get a charity box and see how many times I do the there-are-no-such-thing-as-macro joke slash reference during the course of the next four episodes. We'll make hundreds for charity. The, the, there is no such thing as hundreds for charity. See, I'm already bored of it.